good evening. Shall we stand? All right, glad for each one that's here tonight. Pastor Wise, God's blessing on our service. seated. I want to say a quick thank you to those who've been praying for Pat. She had a good, she actually had a good day today. Had a good visit with her just a little while ago. And uh, her mind was uh, clear, sharp, and uh, just, I just appreciate your prayers. I know the family does uh, as well. So, so tonight, uh, the candle lighting will be to, at the end of the service. And those that are involved in the service, as you, as you have your little slip of paper, when it's your turn, just come right on up. Okay, so there won't be any pausing uh, in between. So we're glad that you're here, and uh, we, we wish you all a very Merry Christmas. So let's join in with Brother Ed as he comes and leads us this evening. Okay, we're going to sing number 14 in the Christmas book. I'm going to preface this a little bit. You know, I've never been uh, much for vanity license plates, but 14 years ago, it was about uh, earlier, a little earlier in, the, in December, uh, we were traveling up on the east side of Harrisburg on 83, and there was this, and traffic slow on a Saturday afternoon, very slow. So I was able to see this vanity plate. It said X L C S. EEO, Excelsius Deo. And I thought that would be a great conversation starter. <laughs> okay, um, before, before we do this, I'm going to read uh, uh, out of this book uh, something about the song. And uh, sometimes in this book, there, there's uh, backgrounds. Apparently, they don't know much about this background, but this is what it says in this. Um, about angels we have heard on high. It's a traditional French carol. As vast numbers of angels swiftly descended toward earth through the star-sprinkled sky, the leading angel halted them with a sign. They hovered with folded wings over a silent field near Bethlehem. There they are, said the leading angel, the, sh the humble shepherds who have been chosen by God to receive our message. It will be the most wonderful news that mortal man has ever received. Are you ready with your great angelic chorus? The leading angel drifted slightly downward so that he could be seen by the shepherds below. They were terrified. Each one of them covered his face in the brilliance of the light, but earnestly listened with awe as the vision before them began to speak in their own language. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Instantly surrounding the angel was the brilliant heavenly host, and echoing through the sky was the most beautiful singing that the shepherds had ever heard, exalting and praising God for the long-awaited gift of his Son. They made haste to see the Savior with their own eyes. The Bible teaches that angels are the ministering spirits of God and they are continually being sent to help and protect us, the heirs of salvation. Certainly their most important task, however, was this, most, was this momentous occasion announcing Christ's arrival on earth. 
Although little is known of its origins, this inspiring 18th century French carol has been a universal favorite. Okay, number 14 in your Christmas book, Angels We Have Heard on High.
read to you tonight the words of a French Christmas carol written in the 1840s. Midnight Christians is the solemn hour when God as man descended unto us to erase the stain of original sin and to end the wrath of his father. The entire world thrills with hope on this night that gives it a savior. People kneel down, await your deliverance. Noel, Noel, here is the Redeemer. Noel, Noel, here is the Redeemer. May the ardent light of our faith guide us all to the cradle of that infant, as in ancient times a brilliant star guided the Oriental kings there. The King of Kings was born in a humble manger. O mighty ones of today, proud of your greatness, it is to your pride that God preaches. Bow your heads before the Redeemer. Bow your heads before the Redeemer. The Redeemer has broken every bond. The earth is free and heaven is open. He sees a brother where there was only a slave. Love unites those whom iron has chained. Who will tell him of our gratitude? For all of us he is born, he suffers and dies. People stand up, sing of your deliverance. Noel, Noel, sing of the Redeemer. Noel, Noel, sing of the Redeemer. The story is told that during the dark days of 1870, the light of a Christmas carol, this Christmas carol, brought temporary peace. It was in 1870 that France attacked the Northern German Confederation and resulted in six months of deadly fighting on the European continent. Since the fighting was mainly regulated to those two countries in France and Germany, it may not necessarily be the most historical or memorable war for us in our history. However, it is a very significant war because the political ramifications of the peace that followed led to the buildup of tension that led to World War I. However, in the midst of that war, our story looks into the muddy trenches on Christmas Eve, 1870, 153 years ago. The story is told that in the midst of the fighting, a French soldier suddenly sprang up out of the trench onto the battlefield. Surprised by this unexpected move, all eyes on both sides looked towards the individual who threw back his head and began to sing this Christmas carol. As the words sang across the battlefield, all sounds of fighting ceased. When the last notes died away, a German soldier sang out the lines of Martin Luther's hymn, From Heaven Above to Earth I Come. The way the story is told, a 24-hour truce ensued while both sides celebrated the Christmas season. It's amazing to me the impact that a Christmas hymn can have upon the human heart. It's, it's more than just a melody or, or just a musical arrangement. While the beauty of music most certainly has an impact upon the soul, yet the words, the meaning behind this hymn contains a deeper message. It sings of the imprisonment of sin, mankind bound in the chains of sin, and yet set free because of a redeemer. In the 1850s, this song, this carol that I read to you, the strict 
French translation was loosely translated into English. The words, O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, and oh, hear the angel voices, O oh, night divine, O oh, night, when Christ was born. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. For Christ is the Lord. Then ever, ever praise we. His power and glory evermore proclaim. His power and glory evermore proclaim. There are many beautiful renditions and talented musicians and singers who have, who have sang that song and played that song. But the power of the meaning, man chained in sin, but the chains broken because there was a redeemer. Thankful for Jesus for that message. Over the skies of Bethlehem appeared a star While angels sang to lowly shepherds Three wise men seeking truth, they traveled from afar Hoping to find the child from heaven then falling on their knees, they bow before the humble Prince of Peace. We bring an offering of worship to our King. No one on earth deserves the praises that we sing. Jesus, may you receive the honor that you're due. Oh, Lord, I bring an offering to you. The 
The sun cannot compare to the glory of your love. There is a shadow in your presence. No mortal man would dare to stand before your throne, before the Holy One of Heaven. Oh, it's only by your blood, it's only through your mercy, Lord, I come. We bring an offering of worship to our King. No one on earth deserves the praises that we sing. Jesus, may you receive the honor that you're due. Oh, Lord, I bring an offering to you. We bring an offering of worship to our King. No one on earth deserves the praises that we sing. Jesus, may you receive the honor that you're due. Oh, Lord, I bring an offering to you. Oh, Lord, I bring an offering to you. Oh, Lord, we are an offering to you.
wasting words of love that I sing. Light and darkness, door to heaven, my home in the sky. The fountain of living water that never shall run dry. But the angel called him Jesus, born of a virgin. Mary called him Jesus, but I call him Lord. The angel called him Jesus, born of a virgin. Mary called him Jesus, but I Good evening. <clears throat> I'm Daniel Hubble. For some of you who've known me as a child, I'm Danny Hubble. But for most people, I just tell you I'm, I'm Dan Hubble. And I am God's missionary. Um, I want to first start off with a story. It may have even been told last year, I'm not sure. But it was it's a story. The first time I ever heard it was an audio recording of Paul Harvey. And he tells the story of a man who his wife and children are heading off to church, but he's not that religious person or whatever, so he stays home. He don't want any part of it. But his wife and children are going to church, and so as he's at home, he finds a bird caught in his shed. So he goes and he opens the door to the shed and he opens the window, and he tries to get this bird to escape and so he shoes it, and he makes noises, and he's doing everything he can, and the bird just doesn't get it. And in desperation, he grabs a broom, and he's swatting this at this thing, and of course the feathers are flying, and the bird is just terrified of the man who's trying to kill him. The bird doesn't understand. And somewhere in the moment of it, he comes to this place, and he's thinking, and he says, if only I could be small, if only I could speak its language, if only I could be a bird, then I could show it the way out. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit, God, speaks to him and says, that's what Christmas is all about. And I would say the flaw to the story is he's more than just come to give us an example and more than just show us the way. He is more the door and the window of the story. It's deeper than just that. I start off with that story to tell you that about in May of this year, I ended a career of almost 14 years of driving school bus, and through happenstance, it wasn't on purpose, I now drive taxi. 
I work for Yellow Cab out of Shimokim, although I'm not driving a Yellow Cab per se. That's the company I work for. I drive a minivan and haul up to six people wherever, wherever they need to go. Um, I'll haul people to airports, shopping centers for shopping, but most of the time it's doctor's offices and doctor visits. I go to Wilkes-Barre VA, the Lebanon VA. I've been to Philadelphia, I think, five times for different reasons. Usually I take people to hospitals is what a lot of my trips are about. And the wonderful thing about it is it's through that that I get so many opportunities to pray with people because people are in need. And so when you know somebody's going for cancer treatment, it's very simple to say, would you mind if I pray for you? And I haven't had anybody turn me down yet. They're very receptive open. That's the easy ones I get. And I just want to say, my mission field is taxi driving. I said I'm God's missionary. My mission field is taxi driving. Some of the people I haul, though, I haul on a regular basis. I haul what I call my druggies. I don't call it to them directly. They already know it. Uh, but I go to drug rehab centers where they get their methadone. And so on a weekly basis, at least two to three days a week, sometimes every day of the week, I go to a methadone clinic so they can get their pills. And that's supposed to help them get off of the other drugs they're not supposed to be on. It sedates them, it makes them hot, all kinds of things happen. I freeze half the time because it's too hot in here. And so I have to like blow the cold air even in winter time because they're burning up. <laughs> and uh, one thing I like about this time of year is I play Christmas music. Now again, after starting next week, it'll come to an end, but I love it because in between Jingle Bells and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Holly Jolly Christmas, there's a little town of Bethlehem and Silent Night and Holy Night and other stuff. And I, it's a little hidden message that they don't really know I'm sending them. Uh, it's funny, though. I have to tell you some, some stories. Some of these people, when I talk about my druggies, uh, I can't give specific names, so I won't do that. But, like, there, there's people in life who will pretend to be good. These people don't pretend to be good, especially when they're in a group together. They brag about their badness. They're very proud of their badness. They talk about who they robbed and who they stole from and how much they stole. And I stole 10 grand from this person. Last time I got out of jail and I hate this guy. And I mean, the, the, the conversations they have. While I was playing my Christmas music, one of the things that happened was I had a song on It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. And so this is how it went. It's the most wonderful time of the year. I hate that cop. I know, me too. With those kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer. If I could kill him, I would. Me too. I hate that guy. <laughs> now, maybe everybody has their own approach. I chuckle. Maybe I have a dark sense of humor, but I have this wonderful music on, and they're talking about how they'd like to kill this cop and that cop and who they don't like. Uh, although at that point, I would say maybe Henry Longworth, Longfellow's song, uh, might be more apical where he says about uh, uh, and then in vain I bowed my head there is no peace on earth I said for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth goodwill to men as I travel around with these people some of the things that they talk about I had a lady many times when I drive I, I drive five or ten miles over the posted limit that's how I drive because I'm getting paid per mile and uh, she said, don't drive so fast. If we get pulled over, she goes, I broke probation. I'll go back to jail. I had another lady tell me, she said that, uh, she goes, a cop came up to me yesterday and told me, you know, there's a warrant out for your arrest. How dare she tell me that? And I'm thinking to myself, that cop is being nice to you. I didn't say it, but like the cop was only being nice. If she wanted to arrest you, she could have, you know, but, uh, 
they just say all kinds of stuff. I have had them. Again, they brag about being bad. And Well, they haven't been violent with me. My father-in-law drives too, and he got hit by the one guy, and of course that guy got kicked off the thing. Different times I've caught them with knives, which I pretend not to see. So they're very... Um, I started off with the story with the man at the birds, but I started with that for a reason. It's pretty self-explanatory on one side, but that's not how I want to explain it. I feel like the man with the bird in that I know the truth. I haul people around who have such desperate lives, and their lives are so empty, and they're so bound by chains of sin and addictions, and they're so, they're so lost, and their hearts and their souls are so empty, and it's just, it's just a terrible thing. And like I can feel the heaviness of it. And if I told you some of the stories, one lady had her uh, fiancé OD in her house, her husband came and took her children, and because he had, was a VA thing, they were going to take her house. So in one day's time, she's getting ready to, well, she lost her children, lost her fiancé, and going to lose her house. What do you say? I say what I can. I'll pray for you. But there's people that have such, such empty lives, such, and to know the truth. And yet I feel like that man because I want to say, Jesus is the answer. Give your heart to him. Surrendered him, and there's times where I will, and there's times I will have conversations with them. And what I end up see what ends up happening is sometimes, just every once in a while, I see a little glint in their eyes. Sometimes I see a conviction on, on them. Sometimes I see a little bit of they know the truth, but they're not quite there. But I see it. And again, I, I feel like the man because I want to. But the story that story shows a point that his wife and children, the preachers around him, couldn't make him see. But through a little bird that God gave, the man's eyes was open. And so that's why I'm even telling my story, is I'm God's missionary. My mission field is the taxi. Please pray for me. Pray for the people I haul, that he'll open their eyes. Because I can tell them, and I can tell them and tell them. But until the Holy Spirit does that magical work that only he can do, they don't see it. They'll hear me. They'll tell me, thank you for telling me those things. Thank you for being, you know, for saying what you say. I appreciate, I like to hear about God. I like to hear about the They'll say, but... They, they, they like the bird like the man. They don't acknowledge it. I want to say we're God's missionary. And inside this church, I'm not the only one. And as I was preparing for this, I began to think of different people. I think of Andy Wagner. I know different times he has been a witness in his workplace. I know Eric has been a witness in his workplace. Stefano is in the schools all the time and being a witness. John and Ann with the fire company and the prison ministry. And Michael Mason on the ambulance and all the stuff he does and that's just something I stopped there but I could go around and I know that you get it I know that you do the idea behind God's missionary when they started the whole church was that you are a missionary where you are you are a missionary and I would tell you that whether you're a member or you attend this church or you're visiting if you have Jesus Christ and that light inside of your life you are a missionary look for those opportunities in your world and and, and seek that and again keep Myself and keep other people in this church in your prayers. Back to the song, Longsworth song. Then pealed the bells more loud and steep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. The peace on earth could will to men. In a moment, we're going to light candles. And that is in a very metaphorical way what happens when God lights your life and you touch another one who touches another one who touches another one who touches another one. And when, when you're lighting candles, do you ever notice sometimes it lights quick? It catches. Other times you're playing with it and playing with it and playing with it. And finally, it takes a little time.
but if you keep at it. So just pray for me, the people I work with, and, and each other, because we are God's missionary.
This story is called A Christmas Coat. A gentleman was fumbling around one day in a women's clothing store. He'd found his wife a Christmas coat and was headed for the door. When he bumped into a little boy that looked like he was lost, and he said, Mister, can you help me? 
find out how much something costs? Here it is almost Christmas, and the nights are getting cold. Winter time is on us, and my mom don't have a coat. I've been working for the neighbors and saving for a time. And in his tiny outstretched hand was a dollar and a dime. His gaze went from that big-eyed boy to that pretty Christmas coat. And he finally cleared away the lump that had gathered in his throat. He said, son, that's just what this coat costs. We're lucky that we found her. And he turned around and gave a wink to the lady at the counter. She put it in a pretty box and wrapped it up just so and went off in the back and found a big red Christmas bow. He said, I thank you for your help, sir, and I kindly thank you, ma'am. I hope y'all are going to have a big Christmas, because I know I am. Well, the gentleman walked home busted, except for the dollar and the dime, thinking he'd just have to buy the coat another time. He told his wife that Christmas this year wouldn't be much fun, and he gently took her in his arms and told her what he'd done. She said, why, you old softy, I wouldn't trade you for a farm. I've got two or three old coats and your love to keep me warm. She put that money in a matchbox, placed it beneath their tree, and said, that is the grandest gift you've ever given me. The years went by, like years will do, when people are in love. Their marriage was a golden bond that was forged by God above. Then one day came some bitter news that filled his heart with fright. The doctor told the old man's wife that she was going to lose her sight. He said, there's an operation we can do, but it puts me on the spot because it's a quite a complex procedure and it's going to cost a lot. The old man said, Doctor, I'm a failure. I've made no preparation. We don't have the money for that kind of an operation. The doctor got the strangest look, and he sat there for a while. And then he slowly nodded, and he broke out in a smile. He said, Why, sir, you can't fool me. You're a very wealthy man. You long ago invested in the world's best saving plan. I'll see she gets the best of care. She's going to be just fine. And the total cost to you, old friend, is a dollar and a dime. The old man stared in disbelief. Then he recognized that smile, the one he'd seen those years ago on a loving, thoughtful child. He said, what you gave to me that day was more than just a coat. You gave me the, the gift of giving, and you gave my mother hope. My mother had been mistreated, neglected, and abused, but she gave life just one more chance, and it was all because of you. Now, every year, she takes that coat and lays it beneath our tree. It represents to us the things that Christmas ought to be. She says that when we leave this world for a better home someday, the only things that we'll take with us are the things we gave away.
Many times tonight the word star has been made mention of in song or word reading. On our way home many times when we're heading up 654, it's due west, there's a big star there. I always ask my wife, I said, do you suppose that's our star? But I was thinking of the star of Bethlehem. What that led to for those shepherds and all that came. My question tonight and the title of this song, are you watching his star? Listen to the words of this song. So maybe we'll try this again. That's going to hit me in the face. Watching his star. 
have you caught the bright vision of gates swung ajar? Have the eyes of your faith seen his glory afar? Of the king soon returning, are you watching his star? That was very good, Brother and Sister Kohler. I'll tell you what. That was very good. Probably one of my favorite songs. Are we watching that star? What an important thing to be doing, isn't it? And I'll tell you what. Not too many people would be brave. I had so many people tell me no tonight, so I applaud you for helping me. And don't you go home feeling bad. That was beautiful. Timmy O'Neill came to live with Mary and David Holmes on a cloudy day in the middle of September, two weeks after school started. He was a quiet little six-year-old boy with sorrowful eyes. Not very long afterward, they wondered about the box he carried with him all of the time. It was an ordinary shoe box with a red lid and the words running shoes printed on the side of it. Timmy carried it everywhere he went. When he put it down, it was always where he could see it. Should we ask him about it, Mary asked her husband. 
No, he'll talk to us about it when he's ready. Even Mrs. Iverson, the social worker, was curious about the shoebox. She told Mary and David that Timmy had the box when the policemen brought him to the youth authority offices. Tim's dad was put in prison. His mom had a job, but she didn't make enough to take proper care of Timmy, and a lady in the apartment house where he lived found out he was by himself so much of the time and reported it to the police. They brought him to me with one small suitcase of clothes and that shoebox. I asked him, what was in it? He said, things. But what things? He wouldn't tell me. Even the children at Timmy's new school were curious about the box. He didn't put it in his cubbyhole like things like the other children did. He would put it on his desk while he did his work. His first grade teacher, Mrs. King, was curious too. What do you have in there, Timmy? My box, he said. What is in your box? Things, he said, and went on with his arithmetic. Mrs. King didn't ask him about the box again. She liked Timmy, and she did not want to pry. She told Mary and David and Timmy that he was a good student. He wasn't the brightest by far, but he always did his best work. Mrs. King admired that about Timmy. She wrote a note to, to him about him on one of the math papers. Other students will learn by your example, she said. And she drew a great big smiling face on his paper and gave him a pretty sparkling star sticker. Mary Holmes learned that Timmy loved chocolate chip cookies, so she kept her, her cookie jar full. Timmy would come home from school on the yellow bus and sit at the kitchen table, the box under his chair. Mary always sat with him and asked him about his day while he had milk and cookies. Timmy asked Mary one day why she and David, David didn't have their own children. Mary said she had asked God many times, over and over, and she said while she waited for an answer, she was so thankful they had Timmy. Every evening when he came home from work, David played catch with Timmy in the backyard. Timmy always brought the box outside with him and set it on the lawn chair where he could see it. Timmy even took the shoebox with him to Sunday school. He sat between Mary and David and the box in his lap. When he went to bed at night, the shoebox sat on the nightstand beside his bed. Timmy got letters from his mother twice a week. Once she sent him $10 and a short note from his father. Timmy cried when Mary read it to him because his father said how much he missed Timmy and how sorry he was that he had made such a big mistake. Mary held Timmy on her lap in the rocking chair for a long time. When David came home, they took Timmy out for a pizza dinner, and then they went to a nice big bookstore. He got a book on lions. He just loved lions. Mary and David noticed Timmy's expression of wonder and delight. When Timmy got off the school bus the next day, he was surprised to find David waiting for him. Hi, champ, David said. I thought I'd come home early and share your special day. He ruffled Timmy's hair and walked with him to the house. When they came in the kitchen door, Mary leaned down and kissed Timmy right on the cheek. Happy birthday, Timmy. His eyes widened in surprise as he saw a big box wrapped with pretty paper and tied up with bright colored ribbons on the kitchen table. It's for you, Timmy, David said. You can open it. Timmy put his old shoebox carefully on the table and then opened the bigger box with a pretty paper. In it, he found a lion, just like the one in the book. Hugging it, he couldn't help himself. He laughed. 
Mary turned away quickly and fussed with the candles on her birthday cake so Timmy couldn't see the tears in her eyes. Davy noticed it and smiled at her. It was the first time she and Davy had seen Timmy smile or laugh about anything, and it made them so happy. When Mary put the birthday cake on the table and lit the candles, David took her hand and then Timmy's and said a prayer of blessing and thanksgiving. Go ahead, Timmy. Make a wish. Blow out your candles. Timmy didn't have to think very long what he wanted to wish for, and when he blew, not a single candle was left burning. Timmy's mother came to visit every other week. She and Timmy sat together in the living room. She asked him questions about school and the homes and if he was happy with them. He said he was but he still missed her so much. She held him and stroked his hair back from his face and kissed him. She told him she missed him too, but it was so important that he have a safe place to grow up. These are nice people, Timmy. You won't grow up like I did. Each time before she left, she always told him to be good and remember what she taught him. She'd pick him up and hold him real tight for a long time. She'd kiss him and put him back down again. Timmy was always sad and quiet when she left. Fall came, and the leaves on the maple tree in the backyard turned brilliant gold. Sometimes Timmy would go outside and sit with his back against the trunk of the tree, his shoebox on his lap, and just watch the leaves flutter in the cool breeze. Mary's mother and father came for Thanksgiving, and Mary had gotten up very early in the morning and started preparing pies while David stuffed the turkey. Timmy liked Mary's mother and father because Mary's mother played Monopoly with him, and her father told him funny and exciting fishing stories. Friends came to join them for Thanksgiving dinner, and the house is full of happy people. Timmy had never seen so much food on one table before. He tried everything, and when dinner was over, David gave him the wishbone. He told Timmy to let it dry, and then they'd pull on it to see who could get to make the wish. December came and brought with it cold weather. Mary and David brought Timmy a heavy snow parka and clubs. His mother gave him a new backpack, and he put his shoebox in it. He carried it to school every day, and in the afternoon, he'd hang the backpack on the closet door where he could see it all of the time. It seemed everybody in the small, time where, small town where Mary and David Holmes and Timmy lived knew about his shoebox, but nobody but Timmy knew what was inside. A few boys tried to take it from him one day, but Mrs. King, the teacher, saw them and made them pick up trash on the school grounds during lunch hour. Sometimes children on the bus would just ask him what he had in the box, but he'd just say, just things. What kind of things? He would shrug, but he would never say. The church where Mary and David Holmes took Timmy had a Christmas program every year. The choir practiced for two months to present the community with a cantata. Everyone dressed in costumes this year. Part of the program was to include acting out the nativity while the choir sang. We need lots of children to volunteer for the parts, Chuck, the program director said. The choir will sing about the angels who came to speak to the shepherds in the field. And there's a song about the wise men who came from afar to look for Jesus. And of course, we need a girl to play Mary and a boy to play Joseph. What about Jesus, Timmy said. Latasha has a baby brother. Why don't you let her be Mary and her baby brother can be Jesus? That's a great idea, Chuck said. Most of the children were eager to be part of the play, even Timmy, but he was too shy to raise his hand. Chuck noticed that look on his face when all the parts were filled. 
He asked his helper to get the children started in a game and took Timmy aside. We could use another shepherd in the play, he said. Would you like to be a shepherd? I'd like to be a wise man, he said. There were already three wise men, but Chuck thought about it and nodded, you know. The Bible doesn't say how many wise men came to see Jesus. There might have been four. There might have been more than that. I'll talk to the lady making costumes and ask her if she can make one more for you. The lady was so pleased to make a costume for Timmy. She spent extra time on it because she wanted it to be very special. She made a long blue tunic that went to his ankles. She made a wide multicolored sash and an outer garment like an open robe of a beautiful brocade with purple and gold. Then she made a turban and put a big rhinestone brooch on the front and some, and some colored, colored plumes in the top. And this isn't in the story, but she should have made the outfit for the guy last week. It would have looked so much better. When the night came for the program, everyone was so excited that no one noticed that Timmy was still holding his old shoebox instead of the fancy wooden jewelry box he was supposed to carry onto the stage. Everyone did notice, though, when he followed the other three wise men out of the wings and into the lights. One by one, the wise men approached the manger and left their gifts. But everyone sitting in the audience in the big church social hall was looking at Timmy. Timmy's mother had come to see him in the cantata. Mrs. Iverson, the social worker, had come as well. So had Mrs. King and two other teachers from Timmy's school. They were all holding their breath when it came Timmy's turn to put his kingly offering before the manger where the baby Jesus was sleeping. He looked like a small regal king in his royal garb, the turban and jewel on his head. The lights were on him. The sparkles and the pretty cloths made him shine. He carried in both hands, you guessed it, the old worn shoebox with the red lid and the words running shoes and presented it with solemn respect to the child in the manger. Then Tammy straightened and turned and smiled broadly at his mother, Mary, and David, Mrs. Iverson and Mrs. King, and her two friends before he took his place among the other wise men at the far side of the stage. They all let out their breath in relief, but they also sat wondering and watching Timmy. He was singing with a choir, not the least bit concerned about the precious shoebox he had left on the far side of the stage. In fact, he didn't even look at it once, and they'd never seen him look so happy. When the cantata was over, his mother took his hand and went with him for Christmas punch and cookies. Mary and David went with them too. So did Mrs. Iverson and Mrs. King and the two teachers had come with him. They all saw, said how proud they were of him and what a good job he did. When it tam came time to go, Timmy's mother asked him if he wanted to go and get his shoebox. Oh no, Timmy said, I gave that to Jesus. They all were curious about what was inside the box. But when they passed by the stage, they saw it was all gone. Timmy noticed too, but he didn't even seem the least bit upset about it. In fact, he smiled. Here it is, my Lord, the angel said, kneeling before the throne of God. He held the old worn shoebox with the words running shoes printed on it and set it at God's feet. Jesus took it and set it upon his lap. He put his hands over it and looked out at the gathering of thousands of angels and seraphims and saints. Even they were curious what was inside the box. Only he and Timmy knew. Peter the apostle was there and bold as he always was. The only one who dared ask, what's in the box, Lord? What has this child given to you? 
Jesus just smiled and said, just thanks. He had watched Timmy from the time he was conceived. He had counted every hair upon his head and knew all that was in his heart. And he had waited for the day when the child would come to him with what he had to offer. Jesus took the top off the shoebox and all the angels and seraphims and saints leaned forward as he took out one item at a time and laid it tenderly upon his lap. And what they were saw was just things, very simple, very ordinary things. The worn and faded silk edge of his baby blanket, a wedding picture of his mother and father, his mother's, mother's letters with a rubber band around them, $10, his father's note of love and apology, a math paper with a smiley face and a note from his teacher, a pretty star sticker, used birthday candles with dried icing on them wrapped in pretty wrapping paper and tied with a bright curly ribbon, the big side of a broken turkey wishbone, a lion book, a pretty red maple leaf, an old baseball, and six chocolate chip cookies. They were unseen things too, hopes, dreams, prayers, and many worries and fears. All of them were in the box Timmy gave to the Lord. Jesus just put everything back in the box with tender care. He put the red lid back on the box and then rested his hands upon it as he looked at the multitude before him. Timmy has given the most precious gift of all, he said, the faith of a child. More angels were sent to guard Timmy from that day forward. They never left his side. They were with Timmy when Mary and David invited his mother to come and live with them. She had a room right across the hall from Timmy. The angels were with him when David, when Mary and David had a baby of their own. They were with him when his father got out of prison in time for his high school graduation. They surrounded Timmy as he got up, married, and had children of his own. In fact, angels surrounded him and protected him all the days of his life, up until the very moment he was ushered into heaven, straight into the waiting arms of the Lord who loved him. And I can't help but think of when the angel came to David and, or to Joseph and he said, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And I think of this Christmas, how beautiful it is that Jesus came for us and all he wants is just what we have to give. All he wants is for songs like Brother Sister Kohler saying, it was so beautiful to me. That's all he wants is us just to give ourselves to him, and he will give himself to us. Oh, what a beautiful time. Now we're going to turn. Um, I guess you're not going to turn because it's too dark. But if we'd all stand and we're going to be ready to sing, let's sing Silent Night. I told the ladies it was between two, and the, there's another one I'd rather sing, but... Um, you guys don't know the words, and so I'm not going to sing a solo up here. So let's sing. If the ushers will, will wait, just pause a minute. If you'll come, and what they're going to do, they're going to light. If you'll lift up your candle, they'll light on the end. And as we sing Silent Night, if you guys will just light your neighbor beside you, please don't have me sing a solo. I think you all know Silent Night. Okay, here we go. Are you ready?
Lord, not a one of us deserved for you to come to earth to die for us, but we want to thank you that you did. Lord, what amazing, amazing Christmas gifts. Lord, we give gifts, but they seem, oh my, so insignificant that we just can't compare. But you did so many wonderful things for us, and we just praise you for that. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, as we celebrate tomorrow, Jesus, and tonight. Lord, that we would remember the real reason. Lord, you came so that we can go to heaven someday. And Lord, we want to do that. That is our desire. And we just want to thank you for the most wonderful gift ever given. I pray that you'd go with everyone that's here. Bless their families. And